Um, we want to introduce a wonderful speaker tonight, um, and we want to honor the people that come onto this podium because they, they give out stuff that we're missing. You know, anytime that we have someone new in there, they have a nugget of truth that's going to fit just like a key in a lock into my heart. And so let's, um, let's honor Mr. Greg Key. Come on up here. Thank you. How y'all doing? Can you hear me? I can't hear me, so that's good. Just give you a little background about myself. It's been about 12 years since I've been in a pulpit. I pastored the Methodist Church for about three and a half years. I've done two churches every Sunday morning, and I didn't do the same sermon at either church because both churches needed something different. But I just want to say right now, you know, God is good, isn't he? Come on, he's better than that. God is good. All the time. You know, we, we, we come to church and we do praise and worship. And we stand out here with our hands raised up in the air. And we get this tingly feeling all over us. You know, we feel the spirit move. And when we're feeling that spirit, we say, Lord, you know, I give you my life. I want you to lead me in everything that I do. We sing a song. You know, one of the old gospel songs is, I surrender all. Lord, I, I give you my heart. I surrender everything that I am to you. Or we come to the altar and we kneel down and we pray. You say, Lord, I give you my life. If you open the doors for me, I will step in and be a witness for you. You know, in church setting, that is really easy to do because we have the music, we have the song, we have the worship leader. We have all these people around us to encourage us and give us strength. It also gives us Strength against the enemy because there's strength in numbers. But you know, there's a country song out there that says, Who are you when I'm not around? There's a man asking his wife, Who are you when I'm not around? Well, ask yourself tonight, Who am I when they're not around? Am I the same outside the church as I am in church. Are you willing to stick to your promises that you made with your hands raised high or in the song or in the prayer while you're in church? You know, when you go home, the enemy's there. He's waiting for you at the door. Actually, he's waiting for you at the car when you leave. And his goal is to make sure you break that promise. He does not want you to stick to that promise because he does not want Jesus Christ glorified in your, in your life or anybody else's life. You know, about sticking to promises and giving Christ our heart, let me share a couple stories with you. You remember several years ago at Columbine, there was a shooting. The shooter walked up to a little girl who made national news because... The shooter asked her, he put the gun to her head, and he says, do you believe in God? And that little girl had courage enough to say, yes, I do. And he shot and killed her. 
She was willing to give her life for Christ. Are we willing to give our life for Christ? Think about it. The country we live in, are we willing each and every day to be a witness for Christ? Are we capable of that? Let me tell you about another story I read. It's about a man from North Korea. In North Korea, if you're caught worshiping Christ, you're executed. No questions asked. That country is the leading country in the world as far as persecution. This North Korean family had run across someone who had found Christ, and they witnessed to them about Christ. And this family accepted Christ into their lives. And this man was so desperate to learn more about Jesus that he wanted a Bible. In order to get to that Bible, he had to go to the border between North Korea and China, swim across a heavily guarded river, and hike into China to get that Bible. Then he had to come back to that same river, which was heavily guarded, in, in the dead of the night so he could get across the river without being seen. And he would swim across that river and walk miles back into North Korea to his home. Now they, if they even suspect you being a Christian, they search your house. So this man took that Bible and he buried it out in his backyard. He had to hide it from the North Koreans. You know, to make that trip and to bring that Bible in, he was risking his life as well as the life of his family. But you know what's more important? He wanted to share the gospel so bad that he made that trip into China numerous times to bring Bibles into North Korea. And he buried every Bible in his yard. And then one day, some, somebody found out about it, and they told the North Koreans. And the North Koreans come to his house and searched his house. And this person said, no, they're buried in the yard. And they dug them up and found them. And this man was taking up. And they took him and his family and his children and he finally convinced them by lying to them that they, he didn't know anything about them, that they weren't his. You know, he risked the life of his family and, and itself. And do you know what he done when they took all his Bibles away? He made that trip to China again and brought more Bibles back into North Korea so he could tell about Jesus Christ and what Jesus had done in his life for him and his family. Now I want to change to, to a Bible character that you all know. I want to talk about Peter. Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus walked up to in the boat and says, follow me. And Peter was willing to follow him. One night on a raging sea, the boat was tossed and the disciples look up and here comes Jesus walking across the water. And Peter says, Lord, if you tell me to come out, I'll step out and come to you. And the wind was blowing and the waves were splashing and the boat was rocking. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat. Then once he realized he was walking on the water with Jesus, 
And he looked up and he saw the waves and the wind. He lost focus. He lost sight on Christ. And he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and pulled him into the boat. Later on towards Jesus' end, he took the disciples to Gethsemane. And he was teaching them about the things to come, about the things of God. And he was telling him, he says, I'm going to have to leave you. And John 13, 36, it, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Peter didn't understand that Jesus was going to his death. Peter just knew in his heart he was totally committed to Jesus and willing to follow him anywhere you went. And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for your sake. And Jesus looked at him and says, You will lay your life down for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. The, the King James Version, I think, loses a little bit of the translation. I like to use the message. Jesus answered him back with a little attitude. In the message, in verse 38, it says, Really? You'll lay your life down for me? The truth is, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus wasn't always the calm, gentle man that we think he, you know, that we picture him as. Jesus was a man. He had personality. And he looked at Peter. You know, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he knew Peter wasn't going to make it as far as not denying him. When this took place, it was already evening. Typically, the rooster crows at 12.30 a.m. So it was just a matter of hours that Jesus was talking about. Do you remember back when we first started talking? We were talking about singing the song, Surrender, Surrender All. Raising our hands and filling the Spirit and said, Lord, take my life. Or kneeling down and saying a prayer, saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you lead me to do. You open the doors, I'll follow. You know, that's where Peter was until Jesus spoke these words to him. Peter goes on to deny Jesus. In John chapter 18, verse 15 through 18, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went to Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. 
How can you relate to that in your life? Are you a disciple of Christ? Will you say yes or I, I am not? Think about that in your life as you walk your Christian walk. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold. And they warned themselves, and Peter stood with them. Let's skip on down to John 18, 25. It says, Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? <laughs> he denied it and, and said, I am not. Number two, that's the second time Peter denies Christ. Jesus told him he would deny him three times before the cock crowed. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him who, whose ear Peter had cut off. See, you remember when they come into the garden to get Jesus, Peter picked up a sword and was defending Jesus with his life, and he swung the sword and cut the ear of one of the guards off. And it goes on and says, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then again, Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Can you imagine how Peter felt at this point? You know, his spirit was broken. The man that he loved and was willing to follow to death, he had just denied he even knew him, much less was a follower of him. You know, not wanting to be noticed as a follower of Christ, Peter had blended in with the servants and the guards that were around the fire trying to warm themselves. How many times have we been in a position to witness to a co-worker? Say, hey, I go to church on Sunday. Would you like to come to church with me? Or just to even say, hey, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? How about a neighbor? I heard several testimonies when we'd done Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames of how neighbors came and they found Jesus Christ here in this church. But do you go out and talk to your neighbors? Do you ask your neighbors to church? Do you ask them if they know Jesus? Do you attend a life group? Invite them to your life group. A life group is a social event with a bunch of Christians having a good time and a good meal. And we learn a little bit about Jesus while we're there. It's not forced on them like church is. A lot of people come to church, they feel trapped and pinned in. They don't relate here. In a life group situation, they can, they can grow. How about a relative, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father? A brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, a mother-in-law, or a father-in-law. Are all those people in your life Christians? Do you tell them about God and the things of God? Do you tell them that Jesus Christ died for them on a cross? If not, you need to to keep that promise you made when you had your hands up in the air or you knelt at the altar and prayed. Or in that song where you said, I surrender all. I surrender all I am to you. Have you ever told someone that you would pray for them? 
You know, there's something happens in their family. Somebody's sick or somebody's dying or somebody's in a stressful situation, a divorce, a, a child having trouble in school. Somebody comes to you and says, will you pray for me? Yeah, sure, I'll pray for you. But you never get around to it. Has that ever happened to you? Pastor Paul's going to love me when he comes back, I, I think. <laughs> if that's happened to you, you need to think about it. You are just like Peter. You have denied Christ in your life. You have denied Christ in somebody else's life. But you know the thing about God and his love? It's never-ending. No matter how bad we mess up, no matter how bad we mess up, what we say or what we do, God loves us. Let me show you how Jesus restores Peter. In John 21, verse 15, the setting is Jesus had come in. They'd, they'd been fishing Peter and them, and they told them to drop the net on one side, and they pulled all the fish up. They come in, and they sat down. They were having a meal. And they finally recognized it's Jesus they're eating with. So when, you have eaten so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him again, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let me tell you a little bit about those verses we just read. Jesus asked three times, if Peter loved him. All three times, Peter said, yes, I love you. But what you don't understand, in the United States, in the English language, the word love means so many things. The Bible cannot demonstrate love with just one word. In the Greek, at the time the Bible was written, there was four different meanings for love. Most of the meanings in the Bible, they use two different ones. Agape, you're all familiar with agape love. Agape is the God kind of love. The other kind of love is phileto love. That type of love is a love of affection. It is delightful to be in the presence of another, a warm feeling that comes and goes with intensity. That's 
the definition of it. The definition of agape love is God's kind of love. It is seeking the welfare and betterment of another regardless of how we feel. Agape does not have the primary meaning or feelings of affection. Jesus displayed it when he went to the cross and died for you and me regardless of how he felt. Being able to distinguish these types of love in our life is important because we need to know if we have the God kind of love or the flesh kind of love. That's basically what it boils down to. The first time Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, he says, do you agape love me? Peter answered, Lord, you know I filetto love you. Peter was telling Jesus, I have great affection for you, but I don't have that God kind of love for you like you have for me. The second time he asked, he says, Peter, do you love me? It was Jesus again was using agape love. And again, Peter answered with phileo love. The third time Jesus asked is one of the reasons that Simon Peter was grieved. Jesus asked him, he says, do you affectionately love me? At that point in time, Jesus knew that Peter did not have that everlasting godly love that Jesus was wanting him to have for him. And so that's when Peter says, you know, Master, you know I love you. So we need to look at ourselves and think about how we love God, how we love those around us. You know, sometimes that warm, fuzzy feeling we get during worship is the Holy Spirit. But don't confuse that with agape love. Agape love doesn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling. Agape love is from the heart. Agape love is a love you have regardless of how you feel. If you get up in the morning with a throbbing headache, you say, God, I still love you. If you're laying in bed running a fever, sick, and can't set up, God, I still love you. You know, it's the kind of love Job had for God. Job's wife says, why don't you just curse him and die? Because God's not doing nothing for you because you're just laying here getting sicker and sicker by the minute. But Job had agape kind of love for God. The young lady at Columbine, I believe she had an agape kind of love. She laid her life on the line even though she was totally overcome with fear. She says, I believe in God. And by saying that, she says, I have agape love for God. The, 
the man and family in North Korea. They have connected with that agape kind of love. They are willing to risk everything they have for God, no matter how it feels. Can you imagine how it felt when they were being persecuted and about to be put to their death? At that point in time, 99.9% of the people would have probably run. I give some, some examples. I give some harsh examples about your neighbors, about the people you work with. I give some examples about you as Christians having a hard time being a Christian and testifying and witnessing to those around you. That's all in the devil's plan. That is the way he wants it to work. He wants us to get that fear in our lives and back down. You look at me and say, well, Greg, you know, how, do I, how do I witness to my neighbor? What do I say? I'm reading from the message version of the Bible. Now, it's, it's a different translation, but it's really, really unique in the way it reads. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, it says, don't worry about what you... You'll say, or how you'll say it, the right words will be there. The Spirit of your Father will supply the words. It's just like me being up here tonight. I rely on faith to be here. I rely on God to give me the words. I was telling a few people, I've got five pages of notes up here. This is the most notes I've ever had in my life. Seriously, because it's been so long since I preached. I guess my faith was just a little bit shaky. I used to walk in the pulpit with a post-it note with five scriptures on it. And that's all I had. I relied on God and the Holy Spirit to lead me through my sermon. You know, when the way gets tough and everything you seems to do goes wrong, you have those days, you try and you try and you try and you try, and you just, it just doesn't work. I'm just, right now I'm just sharing a few scriptures with you just to help you through. But you know what the problem is? You're doing it your way. God wants you to do it his way. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Are you willing to let Christ lead in your life? You're not in the driver's seat. I am, Jesus says. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. How many of you run when trouble shows up? I just can't do it. I give up. I quit. I don't know how this is ever going to work. And I've really screwed up my notes now. <laughs> there it is. And you know, the devil is going to put up a resistance between you and Jesus Christ. He don't want you to share the gospel. 
he don't want God to win in anything. He wants to win at everything. If he's here during heaven's gates and hell's flame, you saw a dramatic version of the devil coming out and dragging people off stage. Jeff Hogue made a, a tremendous devil. They dressed him up. He looked mean and evil. But you want me to tell you a secret. That's not what the devil looks like. The devil looks like Mr. America. He looks like Miss America. He is a deceiver. He was the most beautiful angel in heaven before he was thrown out. He thought he was as good as God. It's the reason God throwed him out of heaven. In Revelations, it tells us how to defeat the devil. Michael and the angels in, in heaven threw the, it says Michael and the angels in heaven threw the dragon out. In Revelations 12, 11, they defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the word of their witness or their testimony. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. By the word of your testimony and your willingness to live for Christ, Christ will lead you through any situation you walk into. He will pick you up. He will dust you off. And as Justin was saying a while ago, he's a daddy that will love you and love you and love you. My mentor, when I was going into the ministry, was Tom Halliburton from the First Methodist Church in Livingston. He called it a vision. He said, I don't know if it was a vision or an in-body or out-of-body experience. He said he didn't, get, didn't want to go there. He just said he knows one day he was sitting in I-24 and Interstate 40 in Nashville at 4 o'clock. And, and guess what he was doing? He wasn't going nowhere. And he was just meditating. And he had this vision of God while he was sitting there. And he was in God's house. And he looked up at God, and when he looked up at God, he realized he was a little boy looking at God. And God says, come to me. And he started walking towards God. And God says, no, run to me. And he says, in your house? I was taught not to run in your house. God says, run to me. And he said he run and he leaped and he jumped in God's arms and God grabbed him and wrapped him up in a big bear hug and they laid on the ground and they rolled. That's the kind of father you have in heaven. That's the man that loves you. You know, Jesus went to the cross for us and he died for us. And I just wanted to point out some things Tonight, sometimes I think we fall short. As I'm not your pastor, but as a speaker back when I was a pastor, most of my sermons were preached to myself. I have the same shortcomings as everybody here. I'm human. Jesus was human. He had those shortcomings too, but through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, he was able to manage them a little better than we were. But... He had God and the Holy Spirit. We have the same access to what Jesus had. We just have to use it. And so as you go home tonight, I want you to think about 
some of the stuff I've said, and if you need to, to talk to God about some of the things maybe I've brought up, maybe look up some of these Bible verses I've given you and shared with you. Let me say a few words over, over you for closing, and we'll dismiss. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thank you.